Welcome to Full Focus. In this episode, I sat down with comedian Maz Jobrani from his home in Los Angeles, California. An Iranian immigrant who moved here at the age of six and followed his passion, which eventually led him to gigs in major films like Friday After Next and Sidney Pollack's The Interpreter. We spoke about his movie roles and how he made a name for himself in stand-up comedy as part of the Axis of Evil comedy tour. You can watch his latest comedy stand-up called Immigrant on Netflix. Without further ado, we're going in three, two, one, full focus. Maz Jabrani, welcome to Full Focus. Very excited to have you on the show. Uh, I've been following your career for a little bit now, and uh, you know you've hit some really amazing milestones in the genre of comedy, and and we'll talk about that, you know. But before we go into into that, I, I just want to kind of take it back a little bit and talk talk to me a little bit about you know your your background. You grew up in Iran, and you left Iran when you were six years old, right? So, what was it like growing up in in Iran? What do you remember from that time? Yeah, well, I left Iran when I was six. It was at the time of the revolution. So what I remember was just being a kid in Iran, and we would play like any kid anywhere. There was a lot of Western influence. I remember uh, seeing uh, the movie Rocky as a kid in Iran. I remember loving Muhammad Ali as a kid in Iran. I remember loving Zorro. I remember um, uh, loving the brand Adidas, which is a German brand, but still because I love soccer. So I was just a kid living my life having fun and then the revolution happened and we got up and left we left from iran late 78 and then ended up in uh, northern california where i grew up the rest of my life okay and so you know growing up in california you know coming from iran with you know immigrant parents you know how how was that growing up i mean when did you know that you wanted to kind of go into the arts you know and and how did that conversation go over in your household because you talk about it in your comedy all the time you know like but people you know from our culture they like to you know obviously it's all about being successful academically or you know engineer lawyer doctor right and and you joke about it you know how was that experience for you growing up well, I used to watch a lot of TV and movies as a kid, so I think when I was around 10 years old was when I first discovered Eddie Murphy, and I wanted to be like Eddie Murphy. And, and when I would tell my parents I wanted to be a comedian or an actor, again, being immigrant parents, as you said, they would kind of laugh at me and say, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to be a lawyer, doctor, or engineer, that kind of thing. So they kind of had me going down that path. But I started doing plays when I was 12 years old. I started doing musicals. I loved being on stage. In high school, I was in a really good theater program. I loved being on stage. All my teachers always said, hey, you have what it takes to make it in this business. And so there was a lot of pushing back and forth with my parents throughout my life. And even when I went to uh, college uh, for undergrad, I was studying political science because I thought I was gonna be a lawyer because my parents had convinced me to do that. But I still loved acting, so I would take acting classes from time to time. And uh, then I ended up in a PhD program to get my PhD in political science, because then I thought maybe I could be a professor, which I thought was a good compromise that my parents might be happy with. And even then I started doing plays while I was at the school. And so really it was when I was in my mid twenties, I had a light bulb moment where I realized you gotta live for yourself. You can't live for what your parents want or what anybody else wants. So that was my light bulb moment. And I was 26 and I decided to get back into improv acting and stand-up comedy acting classes, and uh, I've been doing it since, 22 yeah. years ago. So you started what, like you started auditioning? Because you started getting into like uh, movies and, and different television shows, right? I mean, uh, how did you gain like your first role? You know, how did, how did that go? 
what I did at the start was just get into a sketch comedy, improv comedy class, because I just wanted to learn, you know, go back to school again, which I feel like everyone should either go to a theater company or if you want to be a stand-up comedian, you've got to get on stage and write as much as you can. So I, I had no idea what was going to come down the line. And so I was just doing improv classes. I was doing uh, that improv class with the stand-up comedy class. And um, in the interim, I believe uh, I had done, I think I, I was about to do, a friend of mine was doing an independent movie. He put me in it. Um, and then in terms of auditioning, it just so happened that my brother was friends with a guy who was an agent and he said, Hey, I can put you guys in touch. And he did. And the guy sent me out on a couple of auditions and I booked the auditions and we just went from there. So mm -hmm. the, the parts, it was interesting because early on, I would say in my career, I was getting guest star parts in different TV shows from like Malcolm in the middle to NYPD blue to ER. I was, I would just pop up in all these different shows doing one episode at a time. And when you first start out with stand-up comedy, you don't get paid that much. You perform at the comedy store in LA, the Laugh Factory in LA, $15 yeah. for 15 minutes. And really it's just about working out and growing as a comedian. So early on in my life, my acting, whether it was guest stars or commercials, that was financing my ability to, to grow as a comedian. And with and as a stand-up, you try to perform five, 10 times a week, you're getting up in Co uh, uh, comedy clubs, uh, coffee shops, you name it, you're getting up. Mm -hmm. And then later in my life, I was able to establish myself as a stand-up. And then my stand-up career was able to subsidize my acting career so that mm -hmm. when someone comes to me with a role, I don't have to say, oh, I will, I'll take it because I need the money. I can choose to take it or not because my stand-up career is able to mm -hmm. support me. And so once you kind of got going in the flow and you know you made a little bit of a name for yourself and casting directors kind of you know knew who you were and your your comedy stand up were i guess you know evolving um when did you you know what was your biggest first role which you that you look back and say wow that was the one where really got me going you know well there's a few things and one thing that, that helped me with uh it was a big role for me was i was in ice cubes friday after next which was the third movie in a series of movies called Friday, Next Friday, then Friday After Next. That was a big hit in the urban community. So all of a sudden I'd get recognized by people from the urban community. They knew my character. So that was, that came out in 2002. Then after that, I got a part in uh, Sidney Pollock's The Interpreter, uh, where I got to act with uh, Sean Penn. That was really amazing and work with Sidney Pollock. That was a big film. Those films were big films for me. It wasn't that they really did anything in terms of my career. I think that I just kept pushing forward. I ended up on a, on a few TV shows that came out, and they were, you know, they ran for a season and were canceled. Mm -hmm. uh, and meanwhile, I continued to do my stand-up. And it wasn't until my stand-up comedy, when I was doing a tour called the Axis of Evil Comedy Tour in 2007, and it was me and three other Middle Eastern comedians, and we ended up on Comedy Central. And that's when people, I think, saw. <laughs> for the first time, started recognizing my name. Because what happened was YouTube was just starting to take off around the same time. And people would send a clip from your stand-up comedy special that was on Comedy Central. They'd be sending the clips to each other. So I kept seeing my clip being mm -hmm. passed around to people. And I realized, oh, wow, people are starting to get to know me now. Mm -hmm. Not as the character from Friday After Next, whose name was Moly, but as Maz Jobrani. So I think in 2007 mm -hmm. was when my name started to actually be known mm -hmm in the bigger community. Yeah, no, that's when I kind of started, you know, take notice of you as well. 
Um, and and let's real quick talk about Moldy because you know obviously that you know somewhat of an iconic role. And tell us a little bit about who you played there. Like you're a you know shopping mall kind of owner. Uh, you own a donut shop, right? And uh, you're hiring security guards, obviously. And then you know how how did you make that role so funny? I mean, it's, it was definitely hilarious. Well, the movie uh, Ice Cube did a, did a good job with Friday. It became a cult hit with him and Chris Tucker. And then number two did great. And then number three, people there was a built-in audience. So by the time he brought us around and I was auditioning for it, you know, the, the character's name is Moly. He's a guy who owns a donut shop called Holy Moly Donut Shops. Uh, it's in um, it's in a strip mall. And so I hire Ice Cube and Mike Epps to play secure to be security guards of my mall over the Christmas holidays. And it was just a fun, silly part. And I got a chance to go out and audition and improvise a little bit in the audition. And they were very helpful. Uh, they were very actually open to us uh, 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 improvising. The uh, director's name is Marcus Rayboy. He'd been doing music videos, uh, but he, he knew a lot about the comedy world. And so I think Ice Cube as well, they, they, they cast the movie with a lot of comedians knowing that we would improvise. And so a lot of times they would say, listen, Mike Epps is going to go off book. He's going to say stuff. Just go with him. Or mm -hmm. I got a chance to perform with John Witherspoon, who passed away recently. Mm -hmm. But he would tell me, hey, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to slap you in this next scene. So when I slap you, slap me back. And I was like, all right. So it was great. It was a lot of freedom. Uh, Mike Epps, I'm sorry, um, uh, uh, Cat Williams was, mm -hmm. was, that was his first film. Uh, Terry Crews, that was his first film. So there was a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of cool people on there. We had a great time. It was, it was just two weeks of a lot of fun for me. And, um, and yeah, and the rest was just, you know, it's kind of lived on. Every Christmas they bring the character back. <laughs> uh, a rapper named Blueface recently took, my line, me and Mike Epps saying, holy moly donut shops, and he created a whole rap song around it. So I didn't know this, but a lot of friends that I have who have teenage kids told me that on TikTok, there was a holy moly dance that was going around based on the character. I had no idea. So yeah. there you have it. Yeah, it's very memorable, right? I mean, I think even the accent that you kind of came up with there, it's super strong and, and it just... Like, so just super short, you know, and, and it stuck with people, you know, the, the buddy stuff, you know. Um, did you like, mm -hmm. uh, did you think about that before? You know, how did you decide to go there, you know? You know, I think the character was written in one way. I think that actually at the time was around the time when uh, Sasha Baron Cohen just started doing Ali G. I think they were trying to maybe even get Ali G to play the character. Uh, I, I might be wrong, but I, I thought I saw his name somewhere um in the offices but i think they wanted a character like that who's kind of this guy who is middle eastern and we don't know really where from but he's you know he's trying to be cool with these guys and there's also a guy at the at the laugh factory the owner of the laugh factory his name is uh, uh jamie masada and he's an iranian uh, jewish guy and he always says buddy and i think i combine a little bit of jamie a little bit of some other characters i'd seen and just create this character because i know you know, in L.A., we have a lot of guys who are landlords and, and that are of Persian descent. Mm -hmm. So I think I based it all, a lot on those kind of characters <laughs> and just have fun with it. And again, yeah. they just let me have a lot of fun, which was important. They were, yeah. they were open to that. You that's, know? that's awesome. That's awesome. And then, so, okay, let's fast forward a little bit. I mean, at that, let's talk about Jimmy Westwood, right? I mean, that's a, that's a film that's probably very near and dear to your heart because it's something that you kind of came up with uh, on your own and you wrote it, you co-wrote it, right? Um, so I want to know, like, when did you decide 
like when did this character Jimmy Westwood, you know, come pop up in your head? What was that process like? So Jimmy Westwood, I did a play in the mid '90s in Los Angeles. My friend Amir Ohebsian, who is my co-writer and co-producer on Jimmy Westwood, American Hero, he uh, had written a play, and the play was about this Persian guy who's a big charlatan, pretends like he's got a lot of money, but he doesn't. He goes on a date with this Persian girl who's a big gold digger, so they're perfect for each other. And it was the first time there was a play for the Persian community in Los Angeles, but done in English. And I, uh, again, Amir and a few other people, my, my other friend, Barry Boris Davudian, who was producing it, they got me to play the main character, whose name was Jamshid. And in the middle of the play, he tells the girl, my name is Jamshi, but you can call me Jimmy because he's trying to be very American. Right. And so this show was a big hit in L.A. It was a big hit in New York. We traveled with it. It did well. But it was a play. And after it was done, I talked to Amir about it. I said, Amir, I feel like this character has a life. We need to do something with him, put him in a movie. But we just started probably late 90s, maybe. Wow. We started writing some scripts just, just to write. And it took years and years. We wrote different versions, different versions. We see each other at parties and be like, we should do this. And we would get discouraged. We would try to get back together, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, both of us were big fans of the Pink Panther series with Peter Sellers. And we settled upon taking this character, making him this, this private investigator who wants to save the day, and making him this guy who wins the green card lottery from Iran and comes to America. He loves America, but America doesn't love him back. We put a little bit of a political mm -hmm. message in there, too. And um, it was a lot of fun. It took us a long time, like I said, years and years of rewriting. Finally, in, um, uh, around, I think, 2011 or 2012, when people started doing crowdfunding, and I had a big enough fan base, we said, hey, why don't we try and do a crowdfunding, see if we can make, raise some money for this. Mm -hmm. And so we did, and we were able to raise some money. And then off of that, we were able to get some private investors and we got everyone together. We put some money together and we got a director named Jonathan Kesselman who directed a movie called uh, The Hebrew Hammer, right. which is another slapstick movie. Mm -hmm. And we just wanted to make the movie something that was silly that like 12 year old boys would like. So that's what we did. And we made it. And then and again, when it came to distribution, we, we ended up in the Austin Film Festival. It won Best Comedy at the Austin Film Festival, Best Comedy Screenplay. So we thought, oh, my God, that's it. We're going to go from here and someone will pick it up and, and buy it and, and, and mm -hmm. distribute it. But but nobody came on board that really gave us a deal that was worth taking. So we just self-distributed it ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What we did was we, we went to uh, a handful of cities that I knew I had a following, and we found independent theaters, and we put it up there, and we pushed, pushed, pushed. And so what happened was we did four theater Four theaters, two, one in D.C., and I believe one in Irvine, one in L.A., one in the Valley in L.A., so all in the L.A. area. Mm -hmm. And we filled those out the first weekend, and I was doing, like, personal appearances at them and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the box office mojo from the weekend when we first came out, we were fourth on the list of <laughs> movies nationwide. Third place was Captain America. Fourth place was us. <laughs> the only big difference was that we were in four theaters. Captain America w was in three thousand theaters. This is a per screen average. We were we were we were fourth place. So uh, it was pretty cool. That's great. Um, let's talk about some of the actors. I mean, there's some really good actors in that. I mean, John Hurt. I mean, he also passed away unfortunately. I think a year or two after you know you guys wrapped filming. Um, how how did you how were you able to 
get some of those actors to come come on board and you know because you talked about raising money and I, you know make filmmaking is, is expensive were they doing favors how, how did that go well John heard was that was the one part that we put a little budget away for because we needed someone to play the bad guy who had some um, had a reputation as a, as a well-known actor and John heard as you know had been a Pretty big time actor. I mean, he was in, in the movie Big. He was in uh, Home Alone. He was in a, a ton of big movies. And I've read articles about how he, he could have been like his career could have gone in another route where he could have been an award winning actor. He came from that school of all those guys. So we wanted somebody like that. So we had budgeted enough money to be able to do that. And then a lot of the other people who came on board uh were just friends and favors and people willing to come out and have fun with us mm -hmm. that was one of the good things about doing a movie that is um you know done by uh, uh is, is such an independent film because you can really reach out to your friends and go hey i got this fun part it's two days can you come out and play with us? Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys were willing to come out. Navid Negafon came and got involved. Mm -hmm. Marshall Manish, Woody Bakhtiar, Vida Ahramani played my mother. These are names that are known in the Persian community. Navid obviously is known as Abu Nazir from Homeland. Mm -hmm. uh, Sheila Band, who's the lead of uh, a great movie called uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. So yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of yeah. a lot of people were willing to come on board and play with us. Diana mm -hmm. Russo who I knew from another thing. She plays the blonde bombshell. So it was just, it was a lot of friends, calling friends up. When you come out, I, I don't have much of a budget. When you come through a couple of days. And, and when you ask a lot of your friends, especially if you give them something fun to do, mm -hmm. they tend to step up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and Vestwood, what's what's up with that? Well, the whole idea is that Persians can't say W, so W's become B. So it was Jimmy Vestwood, American hero. He lives in Westwood, Westwood being kind of the capital of Iranians in the L.A. area. Uh, um, and so that was it. Jimmy Westwood, American hero. The American is misspelled. It's just a silly slapstick comedy. It's funny because some people within my own community, the Persian community, I think, went and saw it expecting like a more highbrow type of comedy. Because I tend to, in my comedy, in my stand-up, I tend to get political. But um, I got some people saying, oh, you know, I wish you would have represented us as a lawyers or doctors or whatever <laughs> we are, professors. And I was like, listen, this is just silly comedy. This is something I'm hoping that like teenage boys watch and go, oh, this is fun. It was kind of like my Friday after next. It was my Pink Panther. So to this day, I get people hitting me up on social media going, oh, my God, I love it. We watch it over and over again. So it's nice to hear that. You know, it's almost like, you know, you, you, you know this, but you, you forget. But it's like. Don't do anything because you're expecting the results. Just mm -hmm. do it because you love it and put it in the, into the world and hopefully um, somebody, people find it. Mm -hmm. What is, so what is comedy for you? Like, what is your definition of comedy? What does it mean to you? And, and how did you like, where is some of the influences, early influences come from for you? Well, comedy is just anything that makes you laugh, right? So just even in this middle of this, this, uh, this crazy, um, all the, the uh, protests we have going on and the looting and all that stuff. Like somebody sent a, had posted a clip and it was funny because you, they showed the clip, looting is going on and there's a news reporter talking about what she's seeing and she's like, it's kind of chaotic out here, this and that. And then as she's talking, a girl walks in front of the camera <laughs> holding a cheesecake and the reporter is trying to be very serious. She goes, as you can see, someone is walking away with, with, walking away with a cheesecake. 
Um, and uh, that, you know, the Cheesecake Factory was also looted, but we don't know where that came from. <laughs> just the way that reporters being serious, and this is happening in real time, it's just funny, even though the whole thing is tragic, it was funny. And it's almost like you need laughter in the middle of tragedy. And uh, I think comedy for me, mm -hmm. or the first early on is probably the cartoons, whether it was Bugs Bunny or Popeye or Tom and Jerry, all that stuff, you know, bing, bang, boom, knocking each other over the head. Uh, then, of course, there was your, you know, Three Stooges and your Marx Brothers back in the day. And then eventually, I think it was Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, for me, was the first big comedy rock star. Um, his his special Delirious was, was and is stuck in my head. Before Delirious, he had something called Eddie Murphy Comedian, and it was just a tape. And we put the tape in my friend's house and we just listened to it over and over again. So Eddie Murphy was what inspired me. Then when I got into comedy, I think uh, guys like Pryor and Carlin, who were doing political and social stuff, really started to kind of influence me some. So it's been a little bit of all those guys, a little bit of Cosby, uh -huh. um, all of them. Uh, back, that's who I used to listen to. And I would listen and watch comedy all day long, Saturday Night Live, all day long. Mm -hmm. You, you mentioned already a little bit about your political activism, right? I mean, that's something, and even when you were studying, I mean, you, you were a studious guy, you know, like you said, you were starting a PhD at, what was it, political science that you wanted to pursue at the time? So even like that topic alone seems to be something that you're super interested in, right? I mean, world affairs and, you know, uh, racial tensions or, you know, what's going on in society in general. And, and you've been very active. You joke about it too, about the protest. I remember you talk about the protest at the airport that you went to when they did the whole Muslim ban thing. Um, and then and now again, you're going out there. So talk to me a little bit about your political activism and, and, you know, why is that so important for you? You know, I think we live once and if you're not saying anything in life, then life just for me ain't worth it. So especially as an artist, if you have, if you're a musician or you are a, a you know, visual artist or you're a performing artist, the ones that I really respect and, and, and enjoy watching are the ones who have some kind of message underneath. I've always loved that. Not to say I don't like light fare either. I love light fare. People that do fart jokes sometimes make me laugh. But if you're able to say something in your art, then I think that you're taking your art to another level. So I try in my stand-up to always talk about certain political and social issues that might be at hand. Uh, when it comes to things like the protests, if I feel it's possible, and I also want to expose my kids to it, I want them to go down. Like, you know, Black Lives Matter, I'm not black, but I, I feel that when the travel ban happened, I went down to the protests at the airport, and I thought the whole country was aware of what a uh, farce the whole thing was because the travel ban was sold to America as trying to as making America safer, but none of the countries in the travel ban had ever committed an act of terror in America. So I thought, oh, everybody knows that this is just a political move. But that evening I heard on the radio, it said a majority of Americans supported the travel ban. And I realized people don't have time to care about your issues. People don't have time to care about other people's issues. They're working, they're busy, they're trying to raise their families. And that's when I realized, listen, the next time a Black Lives Matter things happens, I need to participate. I can't ignore it and think, oh, black people got this covered. We're all in it together. One one group being oppressed is everybody being oppressed. So mm -hmm. I try as much as I can, whenever I can, to lend my voice to different causes. Um, and in this case, I was just down there to, to participate, and it felt good. Before it got violent, I was down there, and, mm -hmm. and it was very uh, it was very invigorating. There was a lot of positive energy. 
and unfortunately things turned violent and unfortunately a lot of looters showed up and you know i don't know that just becomes that's that's the mess that these things are you you got to be kind of careful but at the same time i know what i stand for which is uh i i do stand for you know the people i stand for justice i stand for uh um, whenever i see something that i feel is is um, wrong in society and if i can lend my voice to it i try to do that that's awesome yeah and and so talking about that kind of stuff you know like obviously being a middle eastern uh, you know man in in hollywood uh, in in the in the field that you're in, you know, um, film and television and and the arts, what what is it like? Like, do you feel that too sometimes that you get casted for stereotypical roles? You know, as the bad. I mean, again here and again, you use that. You know, experiences. I think a lot in your comedy, like you said, to elevate it, maybe to bring awareness. Where you talk, you want to be a bad guy, but you want to be a bad guy with a gun and not a bomb strapped around you, right? So. Talk to me a little bit about that. How is that today for you? And how, like, how much can you afford, you know, to say, you know, yeah, that's not going to work for me, you know? You know, no was a great word. I think, especially in Hollywood, if you can say no, it's really good. Uh, uh, it makes people <clears throat> possibly be even more interested because they're like, who is this guy? Um, but I say no when I feel like, eh, it's not the role I want to do. Um, I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that because, again, my stand-up comedy is able to earn me a living so I can say no to different auditions or different parts. Um, early on when I first started and I was just trying to move up in this world, I, I took a few parts that were playing terrorist parts and I didn't like it. I didn't feel good doing it. So quickly I realized I don't want to do any more terrorist parts. So I made that statement and I stopped doing those. Um, I haven't minded doing characters with accents because I grew up watching Peter Sellers and I loved being what he would do and so I wanted to kind of be like him. Mm -hmm. uh, I love characters, I love actors like John Torturo and John Leguizamo who get to play different characters. That said, I, I am at the point in my career where I want to play characters that are closer to me without an accent, possibly closer in the point of view or, or, or at least in the way they are presented like this. Cause the last character I played uh, was on a TV show called Superior Donuts, where I played an Iraqi immigrant. Uh, again, that was with an accent, but at least he was a businessman, um, and he was not a villain, really. So I'm just trying to find more and more parts and, and possibly write them myself that allow me to be closer to this. The good news is I think in our industry, there's a lot more people from these backgrounds that are starting to do stuff. So whether it's Rami, who has a show on Hulu, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's Mindy Kaling, who's got a bunch of shows, whether it's uh, uh, um, Aziz Ansari, there's a lot of people from these backgrounds that are starting to show up, Hassan Minaj, mm -hmm. and present themselves in a different way. So I think I think the future is, can be bright. So mm -hmm. what about the future? Let's talk about that. You know, you're, uh, what's next for you? Do you have any projects that you're looking forward to? Are there any projects like, say, Jimmy Westwood that you dreamed up as a child one and you still want to like kind of make it a reality what's what's coming up next for you i think well right now you know the everything's kind of up in the air because of the pandemic so we don't know when filming's going to start we don't know what what's going to happen so really i'm just waiting to find out in the meantime i'm continuing to do shows on uh, i do instagram live shows i've done i just i've been doing a zoom show that i tried last week which was called maz in the house uh, uh talk show which is people come on Zoom and me and a couple of comedians come on. I do a monologue, then I do, uh, then we cover the week's news. 
um, and then we uh, then we do then we give advice. And so just been doing Zoom shows right now, and a lot of that is because I feel like I want to be creative, and it was great. We did it this past weekend, even amidst the, in the middle of the protests and the pandemic, we were able to, I believe, for like an hour and a half at least, bring some levity to the day and, and let people exhale. We we talked about those subjects. Uh, and not in a dis- disrespectful way at all. It was just us acknowledging that we're all, the whole country is going through this, the, these things. And so currently that's the thing that's on the board. And mm-hmm. then other than that, I've got a couple of things that I'm trying to develop. And, and we'll see, you know, it's always, I, I can't sit still. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> trying to create something. All right, cool. Maz Jabrani, thank you so much for coming on Full Focus and uh, talking with me a little bit today. Thank you, Art. I should appreciate you, buddy. All right. Have a good one. Take care.